Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Paradroid. Do you know where the name Paradroid came from? You will, after listening to this episode. But before we begin talking about this week's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to Sprite Castle. This episode was slightly delayed. Actually, it's not delayed. This episode is on time, but you don't know Flack. Last week, my other uh, primary podcast was delayed because the power supply in my home server blew up. (laughs) And I ended up buying a power supply from Best Buy. Normally, I would just order something like that from Amazon. But when you're down, you're down. And so I paid uh, almost twice the price to go get a power supply locally, but I was able to get that, get the server back up, which is where all my, among other things, podcast files are stored. So we're back in business. Everything is just fine. Fortunately, I have backups of my backups. As I like to say, I'm very uh, cognizant of maintaining backups. So there's usually not a worry that the files are backed up. There's just the worry that how long will it take me to get to them? (laughs) So Everything came out happy in the end, and uh, there was a that story uh, had a happy ending. So good on that. Uh, if you check uh, this week on youtube.com forward slash amigos retro gaming under the Sprite Castle playlist, you will find a video for Paradroid, the game that we're talking about this week. I played that earlier in the week. We did a long stream, and uh, that that game, uh, as you'll find out later on in the episode, is so much fun to play. You can just pick it up and jump right back into it, and it's like you never put it down. So uh, if you want to go, if you listen to this episode and you want to see a little bit more what the game looks like, go over to youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming. Look for the Sprite Castle Plays playlist and you'll be able to find that video. And while you're there, check out all the other Amigos Retro Gaming videos. There's lots of different shows. Pixel Guide In, the Amigos, um, ARG Presents, all those guys are uploading great videos, uh, plus some of the other streamers that uh, are friends of the of the channel. So there's lots of good content there. Go check that out. I want to jump right to the King of the Castle. Of course, the King of the Castle uh, is a special award that is given to everyone who identifies the 8-bit song played at the end of the episode. And this week, there are no winners. Nobody got last week's song. I was so surprised uh, that nobody recognized the song. Of course, on the last episode of Sprite Castle, we played Below the Root, a game that takes place uh solely in and under trees. And the song that was played last week was nearly lost you by the screaming trees. <laughs> I thought everybody would get that. I guess not everybody was into nineties alternative as much as I was. So, uh, let me double check the peek behind the door. Yep. Lights are out. There's nobody in there this week. How sad that is. So, uh, if you listen towards the end of the show, you will hear an eight bit song that will be played that will have something to do with this week's game. And so if you send an email to Rob O'Hare at Rob and if you would put King of the castle in the title of that email, so I can find it easily. 
and you will get to be uh, part of the King of the Castle party that goes on. But uh, it's quiet in the castle this week. It's just me sitting in here in the dark. So we'll see. Uh, Good luck to everybody uh, at the end of this episode, and maybe we'll have some people show up for next week. Uh, As far as Commodore 64 news goes, we had a few uh, releases. Uh, One is there's a new release of Virtual 64 version v 4.0 was released, and this is a Commodore 64 emulator for the Macintosh. I have a lot of people ask me, how can I play Commodore games on the Mac? What's the best emulator? And my answer always is the last Mac that I owned and used was a Mac Plus, <laughs> or maybe a SE, one of those a Mac classics. So I am not up on Macintosh software, but uh, Virtual C64 appears to be a pretty good emulator, Commodore 64 emulator for the Mac. So if you're looking for a Macintosh solution, you might give that a check. Of course, links to this and to all the games and news stories will be listed in the show notes, which you can find at podcast.robohara.com. And speaking of links, I'll be adding a link to Robin Harbron's latest 8-bit show-and-tell video. This is one about programming the Commodore 64. This is actually a book, and Robin goes through the book and looks at some of the different techniques and stuff. This is a book that if you owned a Commodore 64, you may have owned this book back in the day. It was pretty popular. I obviously immediately recognized the cover when he showed it on the video. So it's a, a great video to see um, you know, some of the, the programming techniques and stuff that were uh, you know, in those types of books back then. So uh, check out Robin's video if you want to find out a little bit more about programming the Commodore 64. In software news, I saw a new release called Spinning Ginny, and this is a um, drum machine for the Commodore 64 by Alexi or Alexi Eben. I hope I got your name right. And it's more than a drum machine. This is a drum uh, I mean, I guess it is a drum machine. It's like a, a drum sequencer almost. And all these samples are, they're digital samples that it plays. It's super easy to use. I was able to create a beat without reading instructions or anything in less than a minute. It's, um, and, and the, uh, download, which is on the Commodore scene database, uh, comes with four discs and all the, the other discs contain, uh, additional drum samples. So there's all kinds of drum kits and stuff. Uh, it's really, really cool. And so uh, I just played with it briefly today, but uh, I really like it. And so I hope that uh, some neat music gets made with this thing, but that's called Spinning Ginny. And you can load and save your patterns. You can import other uh, audio samples. It's, it's pretty cool. So uh, if you're into making music and drum tracks and things like that, you want to check out Spinning Ginny. Uh, another th- tool that I saw was a SID tool. Uh, there's a new version of that, which is 2.0.5. And SID tool is a front end for Windows that allows you to play SID music. It can use Vice or uh, other programs as a back end, but this serves as a front end where you can sort and play SID files. So if you like listening to SID music, uh, I believe I use FooBar, which is the MP3 player, and I believe it has a plug-in where I can listen to Sid music that way. But if you don't have another way, other you know, there's lots of different ways to listen to uh, 8-bit tunes, but Sid Tool is a, a good front end, so you might want to check that out. Uh, and finally, I saw 
a uh, new game called Uber Swap, which is a match three style game. Uh, this one uses pet ASCII graphics. So uh, if you're into those swap three type games or match three type games, uh, I saw that listed on Indie Retro News. So that was uh, a, a cool release. And I haven't tried it yet, but I watched a video and, and um, the mechanics of all these games pretty much play the same. But if you like those style of games, then uh, you should go ahead and check that out. Speaking of software, I got a address manager. Uh, this works like one of those old Rolodexes for the Commodore 64. You can flip through and you can enter in uh, the names and, and numbers. And it even has a field for email addresses of your friends. And so I started importing all my contacts into this software. So far, I've inputted Joshua Eckroth, David Chambers, Dan Heavey, Matt Hill, C-Dubs, Kerry Clanton, Zeke Pabsky, Alan Hudgens, Mitsuyama, Steve Sharippa, Mr. Bundy, Stephen Burt, Mike McLaughlin, Darren Folds, Rydar Bow, Christopher Bow, Armadon Restel, Olav Hope, David Hearn, John Schaller, Eric Stryanisi, Matt Nicholson, Dave Zilli, Steve Rasmussen, Patrick Markey, Chris Folds, Garrett Allier, Scrap Arcade, Jose Kinzada, Graham Vebke, Rick Reynolds, Scott Lambert, John Morrison, Mark Alley, Jake Nonamaker, John Treholt, Roy Jacobs, and Cobra Kai. So I don't know how many entries that this new software will hold, but so far it's held all those. I didn't actually put all those people in this new software that I found. Those are actually my Patreon supporters. Those are all the people that make this podcast happen every single week. So uh, if you want to find out more about uh, Patreon and all the rewards that I offer, go check out patreon.com forward slash Robo era. Did I just mess up my own name? <laughs> Podcast.com forward slash Robo era <laughs> to find out how you can support this show. Uh, if you have feedback about this episode of the show, or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. And don't forget that all my Patreon supporters get behind the scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. So again, if you want to find out more about that, go to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Good job. Didn't mess up my own name that time. One of the perks that my 16-bit supporters get is the ability to ask me a question that I will answer on a podcast episode. And this episode's question comes from supporter Steve Sharippa. Steve writes, there is something about games like Commando and Kung Fu Master on the Commodore 64 that make me prefer them over the arcade versions. What are the games you prefer on the C64 over the arcade and why? Well, that is a good question, Steve. I had to go through and do some Googling and find lists of all the arcade ports. Of course, there were some that immediately came to mind. Um, one, uh, right off the bat, there are a few games on the Commodore that I prefer. Now, I, I do have to, to qualify this and say just because I prefer them doesn't mean that they're better. The graphics may not be as good as the arcade, but uh, that's not the only thing that, that makes up a game. It's not only the graphics. It's not only the sound. Sometimes it's the gameplay. And a lot of examples, it's the controls. And so that was kind of the first category. 
as I started thinking. Um, I've always enjoyed home versions of Asteroids more than the arcade version because the arcade version, the controls um, are difficult with a thrust button and the hyperspace button. Uh, I think that maps more easily to a joystick. So uh, both that and Space Invaders, I you know, the Space Invaders, you know, in the arcade, you had left and right buttons. But I really prefer playing that with a joystick. So Asteroid Space Invaders. I think Paperboy is a great game on the Commodore 64. Again, it, it's – I don't – you know, I, I feel – when I was a kid, I loved the arcade game because of the bicycle handlebar control. But now looking back, that almost feels like a, a gimmick, you know. Uh, Crystal Castles and Spy Hunter are two other games that I really enjoy the Commodore 64 versions on. Again, Crystal Castles in the arcade is controlled with a trackball, but on the Commodore, obviously, you use a joystick. And the same thing uh, with Spy Hunter. The Spy Hunter arcade version is kind of complicated with different lights and and uh, you know all these different gear shifts and things like that, and, and I think it, it works pretty well on the Commodore 64. Um, the two games that you mentioned, Kung Fu Master and Commando, I do like those on the Commodore. I almost think of those as being separate from the arcade version. I mean, Commando, I, I owned the arcade cabinet of Commando, uh, so I like that. But I also grew up playing Commando on the Commodore 64. And of course, back in the day, we didn't have MAME. Um, you know, we, we couldn't always go to an arcade to play arcade games, and even the closest arcade Two, you might not have had the games you wanted to play. So I played a lot of Kung Fu Master. I played a lot of Commando. Um, and so they they play a little bit different than the arcade version. I think Kung Fu Master, uh, I've beat the Commodore version. Uh, I also had that on the Apple II. I beat the Apple II version. But I've never beat the arcade. So it, it's just a different feeling um, type of game. I'll tell you two others that I prefer on the Commodore 64 over the arcade version. Um, one, I'm, this might be controversial. I don't know, but I have always liked the commoner version of Gyrus, uh, over, I mean, it's hard to say over the arcade because the arcade version is such a classic. Uh, of course, you know, you get the stereo sound, you get the great classical music, uh, but the commoner version is great. And that was a, a game that I had really early on that, that really showed off, you know, the Commodore 64. I always enjoyed that. So Gyrus is one. And then up and down is another one. I think I've, I know I've streamed that game. I don't know that I've covered it on the show or not off the top of my head, but, um, you know, it's the game where you drive buggies and you collect flags and stuff. And there's something about the, um, you know, the Commodore version that, I mean, it's a little bit easier, I think, than the arcade version, but that lets you get further in the game. And so I've just always enjoyed that more than the uh, arcade version. So anyway, thank you, Steve, for the question. Those are a few of the arcade, uh, ports that I enjoy more on the Commodore 64 than the arcade version. So I've already mentioned Patreon multiple times, and I always feel guilty about saying anything about it. But uh, that is one of the perks. Again, you could go over to Patreon and uh, check out the different perks that are available. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just crashed headfirst into a street grate. Whoa, I think I got to change my shorts. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So the thing about Paradroid, there's absolutely no food in the game at all. There's nothing in the game that even reminds me of food. 
And uh, when I review a game for Sprite Castle, I usually play it multiple times throughout the week. Even if it's a classic like this that I played hundreds of times as a kid, I will go back and revisit it just to, um, you know, refresh the experience. And as I was playing the game, you know, there's robots, there's droids, there's there's shooting. But I just couldn't come up with anything that, that had a tie to food. And one night while I was playing the game, my wife said she was going to run to Piquito de Mexico and did I want my regular order? And I said, sure. My regular order from Piquitos is what we call it. Piquitos de Mexico is a full order of beef and cheese nachos with jalapenos on the side. That's how they put the jalapenos on there. Uh, so it is literally a plate full of uh, tortilla chips with this cheese that's um, – I don't know how to it, – it's it's uh, liquid cheese. It's not baked on cheese. It's liquid cheese, and it's almost yellow in color. It's, there's no orange to it. It's yellow cheese. And then uh, if you order it, you know, you can order it different ways. I get it with beef, which is really just taco meat sprinkled on top, and then they put jalapenos in the corner. Then you put the jalapenos uh, over the nachos, however you want to do it. I first went to Paquito's. With my buddy Jeff in seventh grade. We met in seventh grade. I started hanging out at his house. He started hanging out at my house. And uh, at some point during that first year, his parents said, do you want to go to dinner? And we went to Piquitos. Piquitos is located on Main Street in Yukon, Oklahoma. Main Street also happens to be Route 66. So Route 66 runs right through the middle of Yukon, Oklahoma. And right off of Route 66 is Piquitos de Mexico. As far as I can tell, that restaurant has not changed since I first went there with Jeff's family back in 1985. Um, the nachos, I believe, are offered in a half size or a full size. I always get the full size. Um, I don't think the menu has changed. I'm not sure that the prices have changed. In fact, the only thing that I'm sure that has changed about Piquitos is that there used to be a payphone. <laughs> When he walked in and the payphone is now missing. Um, that's as far as I know, that's the only thing that has changed uh, over the past 30 years. So as I was playing Paradroid, I sat down with these nachos and I'm eating my chips and I'm playing a game with robots and I just couldn't come up with any food that related. And then I thought robots, they're made of chips. They have chips in them. Nachos. They have chips in them. <laughs> it's chips. Chips is the connection. It's the chips and the nachos from Piquito de Mexico. Uh, so that is this week's talking snack. And, um, you know, unfortunately, over because of the pandemic, uh, Piquito's, uh, Piquito's is a, a small place. There's a couple of tables down the middle, and I believe there are six booths on either side of the restaurant. So it's a very small place. Uh, it's run by a lovely man named Carlos. He's the owner. We've been talking to Carlos uh, for 30 years. We used to call him Mr. Piquito. We'd walk in and say, Mr. Piquito. And he would wave. And then one day he said, you know, my name is Carlos. <laughs> we were like, oh, I guess we'll call him Carlos. Sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, his wife works there. His brother works there. And now his kids work there sometimes. So it's a, a family-owned little place. And we felt terrible because during the pandemic, they've been closed. Uh, you haven't been able to go inside. Sometimes they offer carryout. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but now they are open again. They're offering carryout. And so and whenever we can, 
uh, we try to go get uh, carry out food from Paquitos. So anyway, I thought that was a good tie-in back to this week's game, uh, which also has chips and the robots. And that game is Paradroid, which was published for the Commodore 64 in 1985 by Hewson Consultants. It is a game for one player that uses joystick controls. Now, Houston Consultants uh, began life in Oxfordshire in the UK. Uh, they were founded in 1980 by Andrew Houston. I believe his brother joined him. And they published lots of games, starting with the ZX Spectrum, then the Commodore 64, and some other 8-bit computers. Uh, but that was pretty much their bread and butter. They were open from 1980 until 1991 when they were acquired by 21st Century, who you may know uh, from their pinball line of games, pinball dreams, pinball fantasies, uh, and so on. Houston released several classic games for the Commodore 64, including, uh, depending on which side of the pond you live on, Nebulous or Tower Toppler. They are the same game. Netherworld was a popular game of theirs. And then, of course, uh, Iridium, there's Cyberdyne, Zynapse, uh, lots of classic uh, Houston games. Paradroid was developed by Graft Gold. Now, Graft Gold was a company that was started by Steve Turner, and then he asked his friend Andrew Braybrook to join him. Uh, Graft Gold, those two men, created several classic games for uh, the Commodore 64 and other computers. They got uh, some of the early titles were Astro Clone, uh, Avalon was a popular game, and then Andrew Braybrook had a string of hits, the first being Gribbly's Day Out, and then Paradroid, and then Uranium. And all of those were released in 1985. So uh, that really put Graph Gold on the map. Um, other games that they put out included Morpheus, Magnetron, Soldier of Fortune, Sky Shark. Uh, they were responsible for uh, at least a few ports of Ivan Iron Man Student Super Off-Road. Uh, later on, they did Gods, Fire and Ice. Uh, they even did Mick and Mac and the Global Gladiators. So they really had a long string of hits. And the man behind most of those hits was Andrew Braybrook, who is considered to be uh, one of the greatest coders uh, for the Commodore 64. I don't know if he's one of the greatest, but he was definitely a great coder. Um, all of his games uh, were, were big hits. Uh, again, he started off with the ZX Spectrum. He moved to the Dragon 32, but then he discovered the Commodore 64, and uh, as they say, the rest was history. Uh, according to what I was able to find online, he loved coding for the Commodore 64, and he loved coding for the Amiga. But when the industry began moving towards PC gaming, he decided to quit the business. In fact, it said in 1996, he retired and moved, got a job at uh, an insurance business. So that uh, was when he got out of coding. But Andrew Braybrook, if you see his name attached to any game, uh, I would say for the Commodore, but really for any system, it's probably going to be a winner. In Paradroid, enemy robots have taken over a freighter ship, and it is up to you to clear the ship of all enemy droids. Now, you begin the game as an influence device, and you must either shoot or take over every other robot on the ship. 
This game consists of two parts. The first is the action part where you drive around and shoot other robots. And then there is a transfer mini game that we will be talking a lot about throughout this episode. The front of the box has the title. It says Paradroid, the ultimate brain drain. And that seems to be the the catchphrase for uh, Paradroid. On the front, there are 3D robots that are fully rendered. They're standing on a grid. All the robots are different colors. There's shooting going on. Uh, So it looks pretty exciting. On the back of the box, there are screenshots of the game and then a bit of text. The text says, It is reported that the droid crew of a galactic space freighter have turned against their masters. A droid influence device has been beamed aboard the freighter, and you have been ordered to use it to destroy the mutinous crew. Featuring multi-speed, multi-directional, ultra-smooth scrolling, incorporating a unique blend of arcade and strategic devices. Full-color graphics showing 20 decks equivalent to 300 screens per ship. And then the bottom part is an ad for Gribbly's Day Out, which is Andrew Braybrook's previous game uh, to Paradroid. The title screen, once you boot this game up, you will be greeted with the Paradroid title screen as the word Paradroid. They look like they are embossed letters. Uh, P-A-R-A runs top to bottom, and then Droid runs left to right, and they intersect on the word R. So you have Paradroid, and then in the top right, it says by Andrew Braybrook. Uh, The title, it's all done in grays and I don't really know where else to talk about this, but the Commodore 64 has colors that lend itself to uh, this embossing type of graphic style. So if you can imagine anything that would be raised, that would be like, for example, a light green, there's also a dark green color, and then there's white or a light gray that you could use for the top part. So it seems like most of the colors, like you could use red, pink, and white. You could use the three grays. You can use a yellow and green and white, but there's always three shades. There's a light blue and a dark blue and a white, for example. So there's always these three colors that can be used to kind of create a pseudo uh, 3D or embossed effect. And so Paradroid uses that a lot throughout its level designs. Once the title screen goes past, we get to the opening menu. You'll see the words briefing, uh, Paradroid, the logo of the game, and then your current score, which is zero. It says Houston Consulting Limited presents Paradroid, Graph Gold 1985, Joystick in Port 2. Uh, it will begin to scroll a lot of information. If you let the game sit there, there's about three, four, maybe five minutes worth of text that will come by. You'll get this entire backstory. There's even more detail in this than there is in the manual or or on the box. It says that the freighter was on the way to the beta SETI system. It has all kinds of crazy little details. Uh, but it does tell you that the goal is to clear the entire freighter. Uh, it tells you how to use the joystick. And uh, again, there's there's all kinds of backstory about what's going on. So if you want to find out, you know, all kinds of it's weird to me, like, it, you know, the, it would have a detail, like we're going to the beta SETI system. <laughs> like That doesn't change anything in the game, but it's just an interesting little detail. Uh, once you press the button, the game will start and you will be taken directly into the game. Now, the immediate thing that you will see is you are looking at a overhead view of a small part of the level 
that you have just started. Uh, your character appears as a round sphere with the number 001 written across it. Uh, you can move in all eight directions. So as you move the joystick around, you will roll in those directions and the screen will eventually scroll once you start moving. Um, you will also see other robots. They're also round. So all the robots are the same shape. You all look like a sphere. In fact, it reminded me going back to it now, of course, you wouldn't have thought this at the time, but it almost reminds me of BB-8 from the newer Star Wars movies. Like you're just this round kind of droid rolling around, uh, but you have this number on the side of you. Now, all of the robots that you will encounter throughout the game have this three-digit number on them, and the first digit tells you what class of robot they are, and they're all listed in the manual. There's maintenance droids, there's battle droids, security droids, all kinds of things like that. Um, but essentially, the higher that number is, the more dangerous the robot is, the better their weapons are, the faster they are. And so uh, they start off in the 100s, and then there are 200s, 300s, all the way up to there are a couple of 800s. And then the top robot that you will eventually find is 999. Uh, and that is definitely will be your hardest opponent whenever you find him. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought that there might be 999 different types of robots. Uh, but I looked online and there's only actually 24 different robots. So, uh, for example, like in the 400s, I think there are only three different robots that start with the number 400. Like there's a, uh, whatever, but you get the idea. So it kind of makes this illusion that there are more enemies in the game or more different types of enemies in the game uh, than there really are. Now your goal uh, you're on this freighter, and there are 20 different levels inside the freighter. So you're going to have to move up and down and use elevators uh, to, to move in between the levels. And, of course, the elevators, not every elevator goes all the way to the top of the ship and all the way to the bottom of the ship. So some levels have multiple elevators, so you have to move, you know, go to different elevators to access different parts of the ship. Uh, but, again, the goal is to clear the entire freighter of all the robots. So... When you clean one entire level of all the robots, the background turns to a dark gray, and you know that all the robots in uh, that level have been eliminated, which is important to know because the part of the screen that you can see is only a very small part of each level. So until it changes color, you need to keep wandering around and looking for other robots. Uh, there are three ways to eliminate the enemy robots. The first is to shoot them. Uh, your ship or your your um, the influencer device that you begin the game with that you're controlling again your number is zero zero one. Uh, when it shows the picture, you're basically like a helmet. You're a floating helmet, and so what you're going to be doing is floating around finding other robots. Um, and you, so this floating helmet does have lasers, and so you can shoot the other robots, and that's the first way to get rid of robots. The second is you can bump into them over and over, which is kind of reminds me of the hand-to-hand -hand combat that's in Gauntlet where it says you can just run into them. But why would you do that? And, you know, you don't want to do that, I don't think. And, and I've never intentionally gone after and just started bumping into robots in this game, um, <clears throat> especially because when an enemy robot 
is defeated, they explode. And if you're within the vicinity of that explosion, you'll take damage. So bumping into other robots is not a great way to attack them. Uh, but the third thing you could do as this little floating helmet that you are is transfer into their body. And again, we're going to be talking, I'll be talking all about the, the transfer game. Um, but that is a mini game that you will do dozens of times uh, throughout each game of Paradroid, unless you're not good at it. And then you'll only do it once. <laughs> I love it when I make myself laugh. On each level, there are uh, repair spots. There are these little glowing, uh, bubbling kind of squares. And you could go stand on them to regain your health. But it costs score. It costs points off of your score. So if you roll onto there and you're damaged, uh, and there's no real visual sign. You don't have a power meter of how much damage you have or anything. Um, but if you roll over one of those and sit for a second, you'll see your score go down, but your health will go back up. Uh, again, there are also elevators. Some levels only have one elevator. I think there are some that have up to four. Uh, again, not each elevator goes up and down through all 20 levels. So when you enter an elevator, you go roll on top of these little squares and you press the button. And the screen immediately shifts to a sideways cut of view, uh, cutaway view of the freighter. I never understood who came up with this until I went on my first cruise. I went on a cruise, and the first time I went to an elevator, it showed the sideways map of the ship and what each of the decks were, and I immediately got it. That has to be where they got the idea for this. It looks identical to that. Um, also on each level, there are terminals that will give you information, including a map of the level that you are on. So you can see where everything is on the map. You can access and look at pictures of all the other robots. You can look at pictures of every robot that's at your equal number or below. So if you've transferred, let's say into a, a 516 droid, you would be able to see pictures of all the droids below that, but none of the ones above that. And it has all kinds of Fun little pictures and statistics, you know, how many centimeters are they tall and what kind of weapons. None of that really matters in the gameplay, but it, it just kind of adds um, a little bit of, you know, layer of fun and, and uh, just additional information to the game. So the controls in the game, again, uh, in the arcade or the action portion of the game, you can move in all eight directions. So push the joystick in any direction and you will roll or float or whatever you're doing in that way. Uh, while you're moving, if you press the fire button, you will shoot with whatever weapon you have. They all, basically every robot except for a few, uh, and very, very minor, I think there's two, uh, fires lasers of different kinds. There's one that fires one that looks like a laser bolt. Most of the other ones fire two laser bolts. Uh, there is a, the droids that are in the 700 do more of a flash bomb, <laughs> than a direct laser bolt, but all the other robots shoot lasers. Uh, so that would be your, your main weapon. But if you're standing still and hold down the button, you'll hear a sound effect and your ship will, or not your ship, your robot will start uh, glowing and that enters you into transfer mode. And so once you're in that, if you bump into a robot, you will begin the transfer process. And so this is the mini game that you have to get good at or you will not make anywhere in Paradroid. The transfer game, 
looks complicated when you look at it. It looks like a bunch of different lines that don't really make sense. There's lines up and down in them. There's boxes in the middle of different colors. Um, and so the goal of the transfer game is to turn more. Of, so in the middle of the screen, there are 12 boxes. Six of them are yellow. Six of them are purple. They're alternating colors. And then there's a box at the very top that is black. And what the, what the black one is telling you is which are there more of? Are there more yellow boxes or more purple boxes? So if it's black, it's a tie right now. It means there's exactly six and six. The goal of the transfer game is to turn more of those boxes your color. So at the very beginning when it starts, you can choose if you want to be on the left-hand side or the right-hand side. They're not uh, mirror images of each other. There's a number counting down from 100 to zero that takes about five seconds. So you have about five seconds to study the play field and see which side you want to control. There are lots of different things on the little transfer circuits that can affect the gameplay. So you have to look really fast and see if one looks more advantageous than the other. Once you've selected a side, the transfer game will begin. Now you have these small little, I, I just call them their little bolts of energy, I guess. Uh, and you place them on the different transfer lines. And so if you can imagine electricity, uh, let's say you're playing on the left half side of the screen. Uh, and this makes a lot more sense when you see it. And again, if you want to, if you're not familiar with the game, I highly recommend that you go to that YouTube link and check out the video of Paradroid. Uh, but what you're going to do is place your little electrode things and turn electricity on. It, it almost looks like a flow chart. Like if you've ever seen an electrical flow chart, it almost looks like that. Uh, you want to place those on your side and it will light up those boxes and turn them your color. So again, if you're on the left, you'll be trying to turn as many yellow as possible. Now, some of, uh, well, first of all, the little electrical pulses that you get to place, you get more of them depending on the higher number of robot you are. So as a beginning robot, as the 001, the influencer, you only get three of those little electrodes uh, to place on the play field. Uh, if you're, you know, a 500 or 600, you might get five, six, seven, you know, number of those things. So it's it's very difficult if you're a 001, you don't want to go try to transfer into a robot that's in the 600s or 700s. My rule, I try not to jump more than 200 numbers. So if I'm a, uh, a 001, I'll look for a robot in the 100s or the 200s, and that, that's pretty easy to do. And then when I'm a 200 droid, I'll look for somebody in the 300 or the 400. So um, that, that's, it, it's not too hard to go up you know, that you know, small of a jump between uh, androids in the uh, transfer game. Now, um, when you're looking at the play field, uh, there are, you know, you're, you're trying to place your electrodes to turn as many uh, of those boxes, your color. So again, if we're on the left, we're trying to turn as many yellow as possible. Some of them will be where you put one electrode and then you look and it splits into two. And so it covers two boxes in the middle. Some of them take two electrodes and they go down, they funnel down and they only turn one of the boxes. Uh, some of them, if you look at the line, it'll be a dead end. It, it, that would just be a waste if you played your thing there. Um, some of them, 
you will see about two thirds of the way down, there could be a little purple box. So if you put your electrode on your side, that thing down at the end will change it to purple and it will actually help your opponent. So, so again, when this transfer game and the mini transfer game starts, uh, you have to look at which side because one side may have more dead ends than the other and may have more of those color changers than the other. So you have to look really fast, pick which side you want, and then start playing. Um, and there's kind of a, a strategy when it comes to the transfer game. The first thing I do is I try to get the ones that I see are dead ends on my opponent's side. So I know that he can't change them back because if you play a piece and five seconds later he plays a piece – his will turn, it'll, his will outlast yours. <laughs> so what I try to do is get all the dead end ones first and then go play on all the ones that, that he's already done. This all happens really fast. <laughs> and, uh, if it's, if it ends in a tie, it'll just say, uh, you know, basically it says it's a tie and then you have to do it again. You have to do it again. Now I know this sounds complicated, but let's say I'm a zero zero one and I'm doing a 200 robot. If I win, when it goes back to the game, I am now that 200 robot. I have whatever his abilities are. If he's faster, then I can move faster. My number no longer says zero zero one. It'll say 200 or whatever the, you know, 214, whatever the number is, whatever his attack is. I have those attacks. Basically, I'm a helmet that's now latched itself on top of that robot. So, um, now if I'm a 200 and I transfer to a 400 and I win this battle, then I become the 400 robot and the 200 one disappears. So that is one way to rid each level of robots is to just constantly transfer from one to another. And the old ones go away. When you leave their body, they disintegrate. But let's say I'm a 200 and I'm battling the 400 and I lose that transfer game. I will immediately reappear as zero zero one. So I lose everything and I will probably be flashing, which means that I'm unstable and I'm about to die. So you have 15 to 20 seconds to find another robot to transfer to, or your game is over. And actually, if you lose the game, if you lose the transfer mini game while you're a zero zero one, your game automatically ends. So Paradroid is very unforgiving. There are no additional lives. There are no uh, bonus uh, gaining lives. That's how it is. When you're a zero zero one, if you lose the transfer game, it's game over. Um, if you get unstable and you don't transfer into another robot in time, it's game over. So, a lot the way that a lot of people think about Paradroid is that you want to work your way up to the highest robot. So you want to get into a one hundred and drive around and destroy all the 100s, and then get into a 200, and drive around and destroy all the 200s. That's not really the, the best way to play. The best way to play is to, like what I want to do is jump into a 200, and then try to get into a 4 or 500, and then go to the easy levels and wipe everybody out. <laughs> go find all the 100s and 200s and just massacre them. And in fact, if you can destroy enough robots quickly enough, the alert on the ship will change. And normally you're in a green alert mode, but you can change the alert mode by killing enough enemy robots in a short amount of time to yellow or red. Uh, and basically what that does is increase the scoring for a small amount of time. So it's not easy to do, but um, you know, if you're trying to get a high score, that's uh, uh, one way to do it. Now, 
of all these robots that you'll be running into, the higher the robot is, the more powerful their weapons are. So, you know, if you go get a 600 or a 700 and you go down to the lower levels, anything that's like a three, four, 500, you'll just destroy with one shot. So you definitely want to try to find those higher robots to take over and transfer. The problem is the higher the robot, the less stable they are. So you can control a 200 or a 300 series robot for a long time. But if you jump into a 700 or 800 series robot, you might not even be able to clear the entire level before you start glowing and you get unstable and you have to hop to another robot. Uh, And the worst in the game is the 999. Uh, You can only control him for, you know, a couple of minutes before you get unstable. So uh, again, the higher the number is, the more firepower you'll have, but the less stable that control system will be. As you're rolling around the the game, uh, you know, on the uh, the action portion, looking for other robots, uh, the way that the game works is that you can only see the other robots when they're in your line of sight. So if there's one around a corner or on the other side of a wall, they won't always show up, which kind of makes finding them a little difficult. It almost makes it feel kind of like a horror game in a way, or kind of like Alien, where you're you're going around the ship looking for uh, other robots. Now, the rooms, and basically the, the map is consists of hallways and rooms. Uh, in between the rooms and the hallways are sliding doors. So as you come up to the door and come up against it, it will slide open. Now, even though you can't see robots that are outside your line of sight, you will see the doors when they slide open and close. So you might be in a next to a room. And if you see doors opening and closing, you know that there are robots in that room that need to be destroyed. So that's uh, a little tip that you learn whenever you uh, uh, play the game. One piece of advice I have is, uh, especially when you're going into the higher levels is stay near an elevator. (laughs) Always know where an elevator is. So they're usually like in a little cubby, Uh, They're always in a hallway, not always, but mostly in a hallway or in a little cubby off of a hallway. So you can come out on an elevator, move into a hallway, shoot, you know, try to clear out robots. But if you, a bunch of robots come to attack you, you can easily make a getaway by hopping on the elevator and moving back to another level. The robots do not uh, access the elevator at all. Um, The actual levels, once you play you will learn that they're pretty consistent about which ones have lower robots, which ones have higher robots. Uh, and so again, you know, the more that you play, you, you figure out where you could go, uh, depending on what level you are. So it's not completely random. The, the robot placement, it is randomized, but there's a rule to the randomization. If that makes sense. In other words, there might be, it might be random of how many there are or the range um, but like, you'll never go to one of the easy levels and find the nine, nine, nine robot. Um, he's always, you know, on one of a couple of different areas. Um, again, the robots, when you destroy them explode. And so you don't want to be bumping right up against a robot and shooting it because when they explode, that will, uh, damage you. Also, um, one tip, uh, I've learned over the years 
is that uh, when you're in the elevator, the game pauses. And also when you're in the terminal, looking at the terminal systems, the game pauses. So you can't actually pause the game with run stop, which I learned this week after playing the game for 30 years. <laughs> so, uh, But I used to pause it by going into an elevator, and then the game just, just kind of uh, pauses at that point. Um, I think I covered everything about the transfer game. Uh, the number shows how many pulses you get. Um, you pick the side, you do the boxes. Yeah, I think we we talked about everything there. Kind of duplicated uh, uh, effort there. The manual explains the score. I will not read all the score because it's a huge amount of details. But essentially, as I mentioned, there are droids in all the different hundreds series. So there's droids that are in the 100s, 200s, 300s, all the way up to the 800s. And then there's one in the 900, and that is the 999. Uh, so each time you shoot uh, or transfer, so shoot, I mean uh, destroying it by shooting, uh, or transfer into a robot, if you do one that's at the 100 level, you get 25 points. And then in the 200 level, it goes up another 25 points. So it would be 50, and 75, 100, so on and so forth. Um if you destroy one by ramming, it's 10 points, and then, again, those go up. Uh, you do get 500 points for clearing an entire deck and 2,000 points for clearing an entire ship. Um, I've never really thought about Paradroid, honestly, in terms of score. Like, I've never thought, oh, I want to get a high score. I mean, you do get to put your initials in when you get a high score, so I suppose that is a way to um, you know, track your progress. But personally... Paradroid for me is just about winning the game, getting rid of all the robots, no matter you know what my score would be. Uh, but there are people that do uh, keep track of their score. In fact, on uh, the C64 wiki, I found a high score from someone named Teo who reported a score of 118,545, which I think would mean you would clear the entire level. I'm trying to do some math here. I mean, I think if you do an entire level, maybe you get 10,000 points. So that would be rolling the game uh, 10 times. Of course, when you clear the entire freighter, there's just another freighter waiting for you. So the game never actually ends. It just keeps going to uh, more and more difficult uh, freighters. But that would be a pretty amazing marathon session <laughs> to get a score like that. Um, I did find that uh, the game was originally supposed to be called Technobots, and that was the working title. In fact, I believe there's a title screen uh, that was that everything was set up to be Technobots. And I'm not exactly sure why it was changed to Paradroid before release, but it was. And Paradroid is such an iconic name. It's uh, um, Maybe Technobots was, was a little too generic, I guess. Paradroid, though, um, it's hard to imagine this game with any other name. One interesting thing I found this week by going through the uh, actually, this is mentioned in that scroll that I told you about, that long scroll that's in the beginning of the game. It tells you all the keyboard shortcuts. That's where it tells you that run, stop, pauses the game. And while you have the game paused, there are some different keys that you can press. And it says F7 is cheese. Now, I have no idea, had no idea, I should say, what that meant. And so I went looking online and... And when you pause the game, if you hit run, stop, and pause the game, 
your droid, the animation is still going that makes it look like it's rotating. There's a little line in the in the animation that goes around and around. But if you press F7, the top left corner will say cheese and they quit rotating. And what I learned was this is a mode for journalists to be able, this is back in the day when they would take still photographs of screenshots. So it was difficult, I guess, to get a screenshot because the little animations were still turning even though the game is paused. So if you hit F7 while the game is paused, the animations stop as well so that you could get a good picture of the screen, which I thought that's a... Definitely a throwback to an old technology. That's something I, I would have never thought about. So I thought that was interesting. Let's talk about the reviews of Paradroid. I know I've made this game sound very strange and kind of geeky and possibly difficult uh, to play. And that's it does take a minute to learn the gameplay mechanics. So what do the reviews say? Your Commodore, no, I'm sorry, your computer rated this game 100 Popular Computing rated this game 100. Zap rated this game 97 out of 100. Happy Computer, 93 out of 100. Retro Gamer originally rated it 91 out of 100. Info rated it 90, which 90 sounds lower compared to those other ones. I believe the rating was 9 out of 10. Eurogamer, 9 out of 10. Commodore User gave it an 89. Um, This game was one of the... Uh, most well-received games, one of the highest-rated games on the Commodore 64 of all time. How highly was it rated? Retro Gamer took a community vote and ranked Paradroid as the best game on the Commodore 64 ever. Number one. Uh, Zap in 2002 also took a community vote And it also ranked Paradroid as the best Commodore 64 game of all time. (laughs) So this game definitely, uh, I mean, there's very few. The the only negative, you know, when when every review is 100 (laughs) or 97 or 93, you try to find the negative reviews. And I found one negative review. And basically, it said that the game was monotonous. Well, I don't agree with that Um, because, yes, there are only two parts. I mean, there's the action part and then there's the transfer game, but those are different every single time. And the transfer game is randomized, you know? So even if, I mean, you could just do the transfer game over and over and every time you do that, it's going to be different. Um, The map layouts of the ships are the same, but the placement of the robots and the types of robots are different. So, um, I don't find anything about Paradroid to be monotonous at all. Uh, I think it's a a super, super wonderful game. And uh, I, I think all the accolades that it has received since its release are well-earned. Now, uh, there are multiple versions of Paradroid that were released on the Commodore 64. The original is just called Paradroid, and that's the version I played, and that was released in 1985. But in 1990, a updated version called Paradroid Competition Edition was released. Now, it was a two-pack. It also came with Uridium, which is another one of the greatest games for the Commodore 64 and also written by Andrew Braybrook. So, uh, I mean, this guy during his prime was uh, really releasing hits. 
Paradroid Competition Edition uh, is known for two things. Number one, he improved the scrolling routine. Now, the scrolling is not bad on the original. In fact, it's one of the most impressive things in the original version. But it's even smoother on the Competition Edition. The other thing is... I guess because uh, it's been optimized, it's much faster. This version, it's not quite twice as fast, but it's close. Uh, so you can roll around faster. The scrolling is faster. Everything happens just a little bit faster. So uh, it is, uh, I can see why I'd call it the competition edition, because it does make things a little bit more difficult. But that, uh, you know, I grew up with the original, but after having played the competition version, I kind of like it too. Now, there was another release called the Heavy Metal Paradroid. Another game that Andrew Braybrook had done was called Morpheus, and it had a really kind of uh, three-dimensional style graphics. I mean, it's not three-dimensional like the way we think of like first-person shooters or whatever, but everything seems much heavier shading, uh, much bolder colors. And so that's what Heavy Metal Paradroid is. It's the same game as the uh, Competition Edition, but with a newer style of graphics attached to it. I don't like it because it makes the game seem a little bit darker. Um, it, you know, it doesn't really change the gameplay at all, but it's just a little bit different look. But uh, And then I guess I said there were three official versions, but there's an unofficial one called Paradroid Redux which is a more recent release where someone went back in, fixed a bunch of the bugs and, and minor collision detection and uh, some of the other issues that the original had and fixed all those things. Um, you know, they fixed a lot of things that happen off screen. <laughs> so it's things that you might not notice, but it does make the game play a little bit more smoothly. So uh, again, if you want to play the original, it's just called Paradroid. If you want to play the slightly updated one, I would recommend Paradroid Competition Edition. And Paradroid Redux uh, is also uh, interesting. Now, this game was ported to a few different systems. There is a game called Quasitron. Now, this was written by Steve Turner, which was uh, Andrew Braybrook's partner at Graph Gold. And he wrote Quasitron for the ZX Spectrum. Now, it is not identical to Paradroid. Uh, the the actual gameplay, you know, on Paradroid, you're on a ship and it's a two-dimensional top-down view. And on uh, Quasitron, it's an isometric view and you're going through a city instead of going through a spaceship. But when you encounter the other robots, you do have the exact same transfer game that was built into Paradroid. So it's um, similar, but it is not really the same as Paradroid. But there was a version of Paradroid called Paradroid 90, which was released for the Acorn, the Amiga, and the Atari ST. Also, I found it uh, several listings for this with AntStream. I guess AntStream is a game streaming service, and Paradroid 90 is part of that. Paradroid 90 is kind of weird. Um, it's, it is the same game as Paradroid, but the graphics have been really, really updated and the backgrounds combined with the updated front, it makes it more difficult to process what's going on in the game. Uh, it's very busy to look at. And, you know, maybe if I had played this as a kid, I would have enjoyed it more, but it's, it's much more difficult, I feel, to, to play and see what's happening on the screen versus the original. Now, there have been several attempts, not attempts, successful attempts, at bringing Paradroid to the PC. Uh, there's a version called Freedroid 
There's a version called Project Paradroid, and there's a release called SDL Paradroid, which are all separate. There are actually more than that, but those are three that were uh, completed that are all versions that would run on Windows. So if you don't want to play the original through an emulator, you can look up some of those. I honestly have not tried them in a long time, so I don't know if they work with modern you know, Windows 10 uh, operating systems or whatever, but uh, you can look into those. Now, Paradroid was also released on the iPad and iOS uh, back in 2011. I looked and I don't see it available in the store anymore. Um, there are ways, there are dark ways of getting old uh, games installed, you know, if you're into jailbreaking and stuff. But uh, um, so I don't know if that's available anymore, but it was released on the iPad and the iOS. Um, uh, it was also released for the Wii. In 2008, through the online store, you could get Paradroid. And the way that a lot of people are encountering this game is through the C64. Uh, this is one of the built-in 64 games that comes with the C64 Mini and Maxi. It's built right into the con or into the um, uh, carousel of built-in games. So I, I can tell you. And so is a Tower Toppler is built in. And I believe Uridium is too. So Andrew Braybrook uh, really uh, uh, represents on the C64. Um, so if you have any of those and you haven't tried Paradroid out yet, that's another good way that you can play it. I checked eBay this week for copies of Paradroid. There is a copy of the Paradroid Uridium Combo listed for $83. Buy it now. There's uh, also a cassette copy of the game for $27. Both of those do not include shipping, and they're both listed for me. The, they're in the UK. So for me, shipping was about another $25. So uh, for a boxed disc copy, you're looking at over 100 if you're in the US. So it would be slightly cheaper if you're in the UK. Uh, it makes sense because uh, Houston was UK-based, and so it makes sense that there would be more copies floating around in the UK. But as I typed in Paradroid in eBay, I also saw a Paradroid 001 coffee mug. I also saw a Paradroid 001 vinyl uh, cutout for the back of your car. I also saw Paradroid frame prints. I mean, this is a game that has a huge following to this day. People loved it. Back in the day, they still love it now. I would really, you know what I'm putting on my Christmas list is that Paradroid 001 coffee mug. <laughs> I would love to have that thing. So lots of uh, Paradroid stuff out there available on uh, eBay and probably Etsy as well. And now it's time for my personal memories of Paradroid. So back when I was a teenager and first falling in love with the Commodore 64, I didn't have any equity in most of the games I played, and honestly, all the games I played, because I downloaded them. I didn't spend money on the games. And because of that, I was very quick to judge good games from bad games. I would download a game, and if the graphics didn't look good in the first 10 seconds, I'd move on to the next game. Games were literally, I mean, I wanted to say like candy, 
but they were more like sand. <laughs> there were so many. Every time you called a BBS, there would be five or ten new games available to download. And this, you know, I, there were more games than I had space on floppy disks. I mean, I was constantly running out of space because there was so much to download and play. So if you downloaded a, a bad action game or a flying game that looked terrible, why would you waste time? Because there's another game waiting behind it. So uh, we were, it was really uh, easy to see the good games from the bad games. And, and so if there was a bad game, you wouldn't play it very long. But Paradroid was a good game. Paradroid was a great game. And I remember downloading this game and, and playing it for the first time and roving around and trying to figure out what's going on, you know. And then eventually you read the, the opening scroll. And we did not have the liberty to owning the official uh, documentation. <laughs> so we had to learn the transfer game the hard way and, and uh, for, through trial and error. But the more we played, and when I say we, I'm talking about my buddy Jeff and I again, uh, but the two of us played Paradroid nonstop. We loved playing Paradroid. And, you know, there's a part of the game, and I, I referenced it earlier, but there was something about the transfer, not the transfer, but the terminal system that you could go to that kind of made you feel a little bit like a hacker. And there's not much to do in there. Uh, you could look at the map, but it was like you're accessing the computer within the computer, you know, and inside that terminal, there's that, that part that I mentioned where you could go through and look at pictures of every robot and they're not just simple color swaps. Like somebody, I guess, Andrew Braybrook or whoever he was working with drew 24 completely unique, different types of robots. There are ones that are, um, bipedal, you know, there's battle droids that look like giant robots. There's ones that are small ones that are on wheels. There's ones that float. There's ones that look like UFOs are just all different kinds uh, of robots in this game. And so we just found that fascinating. It, it was almost like you were accessing, you know, something within the game itself. I mean, like you were logging into the system, you know, within the game and seeing the code or something. Because it has all these strange details, you know, and it, it kind of reminds me of like Dungeons and Dragons in a, in a weird way where you would have, you know, the robot's height or how much it weighs or it would say double pulse ion lasers versus, you know, single action laser bolt. Well, none of that matters in the game. They're all just lasers that are shooting at each other. But it was just really interesting to, to delve into those little details. Um, and this game... The thing I think about it the most is, you know, there are action games that are 100% action. There are strategy type games that are all strategy, but there aren't a lot of games that really mix the two well, and more importantly, mix them evenly. And that is something that Paradroid does. You know, it, you have to be good at the action part. You have to be good at the transfer game. Uh, either one of those if you're not good at it, you're not going to make it very long, you know? And so I don't know what it is about Paradroid. Obviously, it's not just me. You know, I mentioned the reviews. When magazines give a game 100 out of 100, 10 out of 10, uh, there's something there, you know? And this is definitely one of those games where the minute you die, uh, you'll go, oh, man. And then all you do is press the button to start a new game, and you will. 
over and over. And I can't tell you how many times I said, I'm playing one more game of Paradroid, and the minute you die, you go, well, I'll just play one more. Um, it's addictive. It's fun. Uh, and I played it when I was 15, and I played it when I was 25 and 35, and I've played it when I was 45. I'm still playing this game. Uh, so it's it's really uh, one of the, the true classics on the Commodore 64. Loved it then, and I love it now. For graphics, I give Paradroid 5 out of 5 Paradroids. And that's not just the graphics, the way that they're drawn, but the scrolling technique, the action, the explosions, everything. Uh, top-notch game. Uh, music, I have really music, I should just say, not applicable. No music in this game. But sound effects, I give it 4 out of 5 Paradroids. It's above average. There's a, a background. You know what? I'm changing it. I'm giving it 5 out of 5 Paradroids. I'm so excited about this game. There's a... a on top of everything else, there's the sound of uh, you know the shooting. There's the sound of explosions. There's the sounds that are in the transfer game. And on top of all that, there's this droning sound in the background, a very low noise that just sounds like the background mechanisms of a spaceship. It's just reminding you where you are, and it's such a great little addition to the game. Overall, I mean, what else can you say? Paradroid is a 5 out of 5. This is a game uh, that is a classic. The action part is fun. The transfer part is fun. It's addictive. It's as fun today as it was back then. I highly, highly recommend that you either try this game or go watch the video of me playing it, and uh, that way you'll at least see what all the excitement's about. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have any feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hare at robohare.com. Join in on the conversation at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. All Patreons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and all additional perks. Find out more by visiting patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Spotify, the RSS feed at podcast.roboharry.com, and through the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me like You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.roboharry.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening, and let's go hunt that 999 together, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>